This is the Sergio Rodriguez Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other. Today, one of the nicest guys in sports that I've met, he's got a book out called Rebound, From Pain to Passion, my friend, Matt Doherty. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, Sergio. Thank you for having me on the show. Matt, you know, I definitely want to speak about the book. Obviously, that's why we have you on. Um, But, you know, you were a great basketball player growing up in Long Island. A A lot of the stuff that goes on now with our kids gets brought to them at their fingertips. They find out so much information about players, who they are, et cetera, before they even get to college. But you were a a, a, a big-time player, a player that, you know, had many choices to go to many of the top universities to play basketball. How, you know, tell us about your experiences and tell us about yourself for the, for the people who know you as a coach but didn't know you as a player. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I grew up in East Meadow, um, Long Island, near, near Hofstra University. And I was blessed. My dad was a truck driver. He was born and raised in Brooklyn. My mom's from the Bronx. Uh, three older sisters, younger brother. I, I was really blessed, I think, growing up in Nassau County uh, at that time. We had great teams to pull for. You know, we could cheer for the Rangers, the Islanders. We could cheer for the 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 Mets, the Yankees. We could cheer for the Jets, the Giants. We could cheer for the Knicks and the Nets. We could cheer for St. John's. We could cheer for Hofstra. Um, and then we had camps, and we had the parks, and had beaches, and all that was at your fingertips. Um, and, and you know, and you had if you had a your bike, you were golden. Like you know, like the bike was the bike was so important as a kid because that got you you know, to the park, to the beach, to school. Um, it was a big part of your life. And, you know, you had a ball and a dream, really. And, 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 you know, my dreams were through the TV or the park and the guys playing ball at the park in East Meadow. And the older guys that would kind of take you under their wing and you'd see them come in and how they played and you'd see them maybe on TV. Um, and, and you got to chase that dream and go, going, going away and coming back and bringing my kids to Long Island, you realize really the blessings you had growing up there with all the access to the things I just mentioned. I was blessed, I think, because there were a lot of great coaches from youth coaches at St. Raphael's to Bob McKillop and Dick Seiler at my high school. Um, to the summer camp coaches uh, with Gus Alfieri at St. Anthony's, Reverend Ed Vischer at Long Island Lutheran, and all the coaches that touched you in between, whether it be, you know, Frank Morris uh, at St. Agnes who would give a clinic or Jim Valvano would give a clinic at a camp, uh, Lou Carnesecca. And, and, you know, I was the guy that would take the notes you know, and come come back home, take notes, so I wouldn't forget it, and refer to those notes months later. It's like, well, what did what did Doctor J say about pivoting again? And you know, I just loved it, man. I love I love growing up where I did. I love 
playing ball in, in sixth grade, I finally said, you know what, I'm just going to compete in basketball. Uh, after reading Bill Bradley's book, Life on the Run, I said, uh, you know, he said, when two, if somebody's working harder than you, when you two meet, that person will have the advantage. Right then, I quit baseball and focused on basketball. You know, it's funny because my, I always felt my 16 year old was a better baseball player than football and basketball. And uh, that's the one that he really gave up to focus and try to pursue this, this dream that many of you guys, you know, have lived. You mentioned, you mentioned your father was a truck driver. So was mine. So that that's near and dear to my heart. And you mentioned Hofstra. How many people do you think that will listen to this interview? Remember that they were the flying Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman, man, Richie Laurel, John Irving, I mean, Kenny Rude. They, they had a squad. They made the NCAA tournament in the late 70s. I want to say 77, maybe. Um, they, 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 oof. I'm trying to think of the other two. Oh, Bernard Tomlin. And, oh, gosh. It'll, co- know, it'll I, come back I, to you. You can, you can I, pop I, that I, in during the interview. Camera, camera, camera. His last name was Camera. Yeah. So yeah. so now you were a, you 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 end up being a a a really good high school player with a lot of options. At that time, other than Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, everybody that was really a big time player kind of really had gone to St. John's for the most part. I'm sure, you know, here and there there were a smattering. Then after you, I know Kenny Smith followed you. But for the most part, a lot of the local players went to St. John's, especially being so close. Why North Carolina? Well, I think a big thing for me, um, my sister went to St. John's. I go to a lot of games there. I, I loved it. Coach Cornerfeco was you know, a great coach. But I wanted to play in a league. And the Big East was just forming in 1979. They played in the ECAC, but it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't like the ACC. It wasn't like the Big Ten. It wasn't like the Pac-12. Pac, Pac, back then, I think it was the Pac-8, Pac-10 yeah. maybe. And, and I just, the, the, the ACC basketball was kind of it. Yeah, it was um, legendary. Yeah. Yeah. And so there were players that, you know, had left New York to go to North Carolina or the New York area. They had a pipeline from New York dating back to Frank McGuire when he coached there in the 50s. And then Dean Smith continued it. You know, Michael Korn was from New Jersey. Chris Bruss was from Long Island. Mitch Kupchak was from Long Island. So they had recruited that area. And uh, it was a big deal. Like, you know, when you looked at the top ten, North Carolina was a top 10 program year in, year out. And I felt like I would have been, I would be appreciated by Coach Smith because I knew even then what I wasn't. You know, I was not a great athlete. I was a smart, skilled player. And, you know, I knew that Coach Smith would appreciate me for that and, you know, not so much what I couldn't do. Speak to me about your time at North Carolina. I mean, look, you played with great players. You were there with Perkins, Worthy. You know, I think Brad Darty was there too. You caught, you might have caught the end of Kenny Smith, right? I think you played with Kenny Smith the Kenny, also. Ken, the, 
since freshman year, I was a senior. Okay, and you played yeah. with some guy named Jordan. Jordan, I played with Jimmy Braddock, Jimmy Black, and Jimmy Braddock. Jimmy Black is from Cardinal Hayes, another New Yorker. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I went down to school there, and you know, I, 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 I think you control what you can control in life, and. You know, I knew there were two seniors in my position that were graduating, Al Wood and Mike Pepper. I was a sixth man as a freshman. Those two graduated. And then the next year, Coach Smith brings in two McDonald All-Americans in my position, Buzz Peterson and Michael Jordan. And and I, I jokingly say, you know, I looked at Buzz, I looked at Michael, I looked at Buzz, I looked at Michael, I looked at Buzz and I said to myself, Buzz, you're not playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and, and uh, you know, Buzz was a great player, but that's the thing about competition. You know, you got like, okay, I better step up my game. You know, I better work on my game. Otherwise, I might not play. And so, you know, I, I keep kept working hard and played at the park and would go to summer school and work on my game. Uh, you know, it was a different level. Like, you know, you be the best player in Long Island or one of them. And we had great players come through there from Jeff Rulin to Mitch Kupchak to, you know, David Russell to a lot of really good players. But no one was like James Worth. Correct. You know, and then I had to play against Larry Nance. And I never played against anybody like Ralph Sampson. You know, I had a guard, Albert King, um, you know, Lenny Bias. I mean, the best of the best in the, in the 80s. They were in the ACC. And so uh, you have to adjust. You know, I remember, I remember driving baseline against Clemson in high school. I could drive baseline and kind of leave my feet and kind of re- figure it out, maybe reverse layup, and it would go in. I remember driving baseline at Clemson, and all of a sudden Larry Nance comes out of nowhere to block my shot. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Larry you, Nance. What- you ended up with the mascot? Yeah, yeah. He punched my ball so far, bounced into like the 14th row. You know, uh, Ralph Sampson, seven foot four, one of the maybe the maybe maybe the most talented player ever to play college basketball at seven foot four with perimeter skills. Um, you know, so uh, the great talent, and and then you know to be able to play with Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins. A Brooklyn guy, James Worthy, Jimmy Black, a Bronx guy, and and win a national championship, Coach Smith's first championship, and and I played a lot. I mean, it's the 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 thing I like to say to people is, okay, the 1982 national championship, there were two players that played 39 out of the 40 minutes. Who were they? You and, and Jordan. Me and, me and me and Patrick Ewing. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I I say that because. You know that uh, that shows you that Coach Smith had faith in me. He trusted me. Do you? The first time you saw Jordan play, did you know he was going to be that guy? Uh, I knew he was good. You know, but it comes down to for me, it was all about respect and. To say that Michael was going to be a great pro, one, to say he was going to be uh, 
an all-star to say he was going to be the one of the best ever, that was so disrespectful to Jabbar, Bird, Dr. J. So, no. You know, I, I, I mean, I knew he was a great player, but, like, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, when you see these guys on TV, you hold them in such high regard, you don't get to see the comps, right, until you see them play against these guys. Well, the next summer, after his freshman year, after he hit the game-winning shot and had all that confidence and he grew a half inch and he uh, was playing pickup. We, all the NBA players would come back to Chapel Hill and we'd play pickup. And Michael is playing against Walter Davis. And Walter Davis is an all-pro, one of the best players in the NBA, and the jersey's in the Raptors. And Michael is giving it to Walter in such a manner that I remember saying to myself as I watched from the stands, like, like, yo, Mike, man, relax on Walt. Like, Walt is all pro. Like, his jersey's in the rafters. Like, <laughs> show him some respect. And that's like, whoa, that, that's when it first kind of hit me. Like, okay, yeah, he, he, he's different. You know, he's even more different than, you know, I thought. And then, you know, at each year, you saw it. And then, when he was with the Olympic team and they scrimmaged uh, the NBA players, then you really saw it. Then you saw it against Dr. J and Larry, uh, I mean, against uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. You're like, okay, okay, yeah. There's yeah. a story. There's a, there's a story I heard one time. I don't remember where I heard it, but Bobby Knight was telling the GM of the Portland Trailblazers to draft Michael Jordan. And the GM told him that they had Drexler. They needed a center. And Bobby Knight's reply was, well, play him at center. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That story is accurate. Exactly. I read read the same story. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So you, you, you have this just phenomenal career at UNC and you end up going into coaching. Well, first you went to Wall Street, I read somewhere. Well, I was doing a little research. I saw you You went to Wall Street before you got yeah, into coaching. Let's back up. And, and I think this is something that's good for people that are listening. Um, anybody, you know. Um, I, 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 I got cut by the... I got drafted in the sixth round. Drafted by the Cavs, yep. You know, no one gets drafted in the sixth round makes it, you know, um, in basketball. I mean, they don't have six rounds anymore. They only have two because it was a waste of time. So I'm an All-American high school player. I started North Carolina for three years. I have a little bit of a false sense of security that I'm going to play in the NBA. So I'm kind of thinking I'm going to be in the top three rounds. You know, probably not the first, obviously, but, you know, third round, I should hear my name called. Well, the day of the draft, my name doesn't get called to the sixth round. I was doing a clinic at a college in North Carolina, the the, uh, camp 
director tapped me on the shoulder in the middle of the clinic and told me that, and I had to fight back the tears. It was uh, devastating because since I was 12, 10, 12, 10, I dreamt of playing basketball in the NBA. So 12, 13 years, and it doesn't happen. And so that was, you know, really one of the first times I was ever told, you know, you're not good enough. And dealing with that failure, dealing with that setback, I said, all right, screw you, basketball. I'm going to, I'm going to get rich and work on Wall Street. But that wasn't how I was wired. I didn't like it. After four years, I quit. While I was working on Wall Street, I started, I started doing, uh, started doing uh, radio for St. Francis College, and Bobby Baldano was coaching. Okay, Jimmy's brother. And the closer I got to the game, the more I wanted to be in the huddle. So I moved down to North Carolina, ended up coaching an AAU team. And then Bob McKillop hired me at Davidson. Bob was my high school coach my first two years at Holy Trinity High School. One of the best coaches. I don't think people realize how good of a basketball coach Bobby McKillop is. He, the credit he gets, which he gets credit, he's, he's, he's even better than that because they don't understand – how hard a job Davidson is. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're trying to get kids in there that are trying to get into Harvard. You know, um, it's a very challenging school, a hard school to get kids into. Um, he's been there 32 plus years. Uh, just an amazing person, an amazing coach. So you leave Davidson and you go with your old pal, Roy Williams, to Kansas. Right. That's right. And I guess coach that's Roy, where you probably got your first taste of big time basketball from a coaching point of view. Yes, yes. I I uh I left after three years at Davidson and joined Coach Williams, who was an assistant for us at North Carolina when I played, and I always maintained a good relationship with him. So the job opened up, he hires me. Uh, we're out there seven years and we had good success. Uh, went to a Final Four my first year, and then had really good teams, top twenty, top top ten teams the rest of the time. And uh, after seven years, you know, I had some head coaching opportunities, and I turned them down. And uh, and then finally, I'm wondering, like, well, maybe I turned them down. Maybe I turned too many down. You know, St. Louis was open; they didn't offer me the job, and I'm thinking that's a natural for me because we recruited St. Louis, and I'm like, wow. And then the next year, I become head coach of Notre Dame. You know, it's funny because I, I, I was thinking about this as I was writing some notes down that I definitely wanted to touch, you know, upon with you. Um, do you ever think, and I know I'm probably going to be getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but do you ever think that your career would have been different if you didn't leave Notre Dame after one year and, and go take the UNC job? Oh yeah. Thought about it all the time. Still think about it. You know, that's the thing in the book I talk about it triggers, <clears throat> you know, if uh, Notre Dame's playing, I think, well, what if I stayed there? You know, maybe I'd be the all time wins leader there. Maybe, you know, I'd be making, you know, whatever, $2 million a year. Maybe I'd be, you know, 
Yeah, those, those are the triggers, man, that you've got to fight because they don't do you any good. They're not healthy. You know, you've got to look out of the, 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 the front windshield, not the rear view mirror. And you look through the rear view mirror to learn, but then you got to move on. And it's hard, man. It is hard. I talk about driving over the bitter river in the book um, because it's easy to, you know, get a trigger, send you off the road into the river. And, you know, it's just not healthy. And for a while, yeah, I beat myself up. Why didn't I stay? Or if I, if, if I left, why didn't I manage it better? How could I have managed it better? Those are the battles. But if, if you live in that past, you know, it's, it's not going to do you any good. And so I, I just, I, now I can healthily move on. For a while there, it was hard to move on for a long time. You go to UNC, your first year that was just phenomenal. And then you, you guys struggle that second year. But, you know, I felt that UNC was a bit unfair. Now, I'm speaking, being a huge basketball guy and being a huge college basketball guy, just thinking to that to that time, myself thinking to myself, why are they all over this guy? <laughs> you know, yeah. do you do you hold any you know any any animosity towards your alma mater? Your, I mean, there it, it, it's a place that you will always have to call home. But do you know? Do you feel any resentment towards them? I did, I did for a long time. Um, you know, that, and, and, and again, I refer to the book Rebound from Pain to Passion. The thing that we have to learn, and I had to learn, is forgiveness. It's hard, man. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, Sergio, besides putting my dog down last month. Forgiveness is hard. Because what are we grown up to do in New York is when somebody challenges you. Fight back. Payback. It's payback, man. I'll, I'll show you. Yes, Serge. I'll show you. I'll, I'll, I'll see you after school, Serge. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to get you back. Because otherwise, you'd be considered what? A punk. <laughs> A punk. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. I use those exact words. We grew up in the same neighborhood. That's why, Coach. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I use the same words. You're punk. And that, that's what I learned in the park, right? Because if somebody challenged you or said something to you and you took it, you were a punk and you got no respect. So you had to go after that person. So I talk in the book about being challenged by somebody and I'd have to go after them. But as you grow as a leader, you can't do that. You can't do that because people then just will provoke you and you'll react, and you won't leave. So what do you have to do? You have to learn to forgive. Man, is that hard? It's easy to go after somebody and act like you're going to, you know, fight them, and you got five guys between the two of you, and they're going to hold you back. Like you're a real tough guy, right? You know, those fake tough guys. Um, <laughs> and so... The forgiveness part actually is harder. And and I think you've got to be tougher. Because, you know, if you're bitter and you ha hold that anger, someone said it's like drinking 
rat poisoning, hoping the other person dies. Interesting. So by forgiveness, you release that, and and now you have, you're at peace, and you can focus on the here and now. And I had to learn to forgive. Now, <laughs> listen, man, it didn't happen overnight, but I had to learn to forgive. And not only other people, but I had to learn to forgive myself because we could beat ourselves up like you touched on earlier. Man, what if you stayed at Notre Dame? What, you ever think about that? Yeah, I think about it all the time. But I had to forgive myself for making a decision and then managing, not managing that new environment as well as I should have. About if I... If I I don't forgive myself. I, 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 I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be better. About eight years ago, let's say eight or nine years ago, I'm at a St. John's game at the garden and you're sitting two rows behind me. Um, at halftime, I walk over to you and I introduce myself and we start talking and you were phenomenally cordial to me. For some reason, I don't know why, you chose to tell me a story about St. John's and your experience. I think I might have told you, damn, coach, I kind of wanted you to be our coach. And then you kind of went off there. Did you share that story in the book? Yes. Could you please share it with us? Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Um so I'm out of coaching. You know, I go from being the national coach of the year in 2001 to out of coaching in 2003. I take a year off to do TV. And I'm looking to get back into coaching because I'm only like 41, 42, whatever. And uh, I get an offer from James Madison. And then I get interviewed with St. John's. And... I get another interview with St. John's and I get a third interview with St. John's and I'm meeting with Father Harrington and the uh, assistant or the interim AD at the time at the Ritz Carlton downtown and my wife's with me and it goes well and Father Harrington says, well, can you be our next coach? Can you do a press conference next week? I said, yes. I said, um, you know, I said, can you do, I said, a million a year for seven years? And he said, yes. I said, now, I've got to call. I told James Madison I would call them today uh, regarding a job. Is it okay for me to call them and turn it down? You know? I mean, here's a priest, right? I mean, I grew up Irish Catholic. I know Father and, Harrington. I do. <laughs> and so I, he says, yes. So. I go outside this week. I call James Madison, thank him, but I tell him I'm going in a different direction. We sit down and have, I don't know if it's breakfast or lunch. You know, everyone's loving each other. Life's good. We're going to back, back, be moving back to New York around family and friends. And uh, my wife and I get in the plane, fly back to North Carolina. I go to the Final Four in San Antonio, and I'm thinking about who's going to be on my staff. How am I going to deal with the AU coaches in New York? How am I going to deal with the media? You know, where am I going to live? 
how exciting it's going to be being coaching in Madison Square Garden. And I, you know, we're going to have a press conference next week. And then, you know, you ever have a date with like a really good looking girl and then you call her, she doesn't call you back. Coach, you, obvi- you obviously don't know I have a face for radio. I don't. I, I, I never had too many dates with many beautiful women. Well, let's just say you, you have a date. It goes well. Or you meet <laughs> this girl. You get her number. You call her. She doesn't call you back. Okay. Then you call again. She doesn't call you back. And you're like, uh-oh. So finally, after like two days, three days, the AD calls me and says, uh, I got bad news. We're going in a different direction. I'm like, what? You're going in a different direction. You you offered me the job. We're we're having a press conference. Yeah, that's the deal. Wow! And they ended up hiring Norm Roberts, who's a great dude, by the way. Yeah, no, I love Norm. Yeah. And oh my god, that I think the the worst part about that too is also the embarrassment that you have to deal with because I'm sure. At a lot of levels, you had already, like you said, began to you had begun to put your staff together. You were at the final four, so I'm sure you had conversations with other people. And now, all of a sudden, you know, you're yeah. you're, you're you, you turned down a job, and now you're out of this job. Yeah, I had a I had an egg sandwich all over my face. No, uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it it, it, it was uh, it was bad in a lot of ways. Like you said, I turned down another coaching job. I needed to coach again. You know, James Madison is a good job. Just not at the level of St. John. Man, man, I, yeah. I, th- that story always stuck with me. And you know what's funny? I don't think I ever told anybody that. Not because you you never told me it was, a, 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 you know, to keep it private. or per- But I didn't know how you had shared that with me. So I didn't want to, you know, put your business out there. And I came across an article about two years ago where I guess you had told the story and it was out there. And that was the first time I actually felt comfortable speaking about it with somebody else. But that was that 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 always that always stuck with me because uh, this was your job, man, that 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 should have been you were a New York guy and that was a New York job with all your ties. And it, it was just, man. Wow. Yeah, it would have been, it could have, it could have been fun, but you know, um, we make plans and God laughs. Amen. Amen. So now coach, you know, I want to get to the book. I know you, 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 obviously after that, you had other stops, Florida Atlantic SMU, and then you obviously were a scout for the Pacers. So you've run the full, the full gamut here. When you sat down to write the book, I guess the first question is why that title? Why rebound? Yeah. Uh, rebound. Because I want, I want to talk to people, uh, you know, talk about rebounding from failure. There's a lot of people talking about success, right? The seven keys to financial security, the three keys to, you know, massive success. I want to talk to, about people to people about failing and rebounding from failure. So the title has a double meaning, obviously, part basketball and part rebounding from adversity. So, and then from pain to passion, which was the pain of losing my job because 
I was criticized for being a bad leader to leadership becoming my passion. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's funny how we come, we come full circle in life when we, when we speak about our experiences, you know, the North Carolina thing stuck with you, obviously from a pain standpoint, but what are the positives that you took from your experiences at North Carolina as a coach that you shared in the book? Ooh. Well, I think what happened forced me to go on a leadership journey and grow as a leader. Uh, Nelson Mandela, and I use this quote in the book, Nelson Mandela says, you know, I never lose. I either win or I learn. So I learned a lot of lessons. And I want to share them in the book so other people will will have maybe a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a map of what landmines to avoid. The time that you spent in the NBA with the Pacers yep. and speaking to front office guys, and was that all part of that journey? I mean, were you constantly taking notes? Did you know that you were eventually going to write a book so you were, you know, picking oh, no. brains of these people? Or it's just something that uh, just came I about? No, I really had no intention of writing a book per se. I mean, I, I would play with the idea. People would put it in my mind. I would, I would get on my iPad, kind of, you know, do a chapter, you know, here and there, um, and then not revisit it maybe for a year. Um, I, I went to the NBA because I was kind of tired of college basketball and, and <clears throat> the mess that is college basketball, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's cleaner in the pros. You draft, you pay, you cut, you trade. You know, there, there, there's, there's limited, there's some recruiting, but, you know, you're not dealing with as many, as some of the issues you have to deal with in recruiting these days or, or the last many days, you know, many years. So it was a little cleaner. Um, I wanted to get to that level uh, and see if I could grow as a, in the front office or as an assistant coach. What would you say to someone that reads your book and when they're finished says, you know, I failed. I read this book now. What's step one to heal? I think having an open mind, I think having an open mind to your role in the failure. Great answer. Because until you, deny, until you accept some responsibility, you won't grow. So I think having an open mind to the fact that, okay, 
yeah, I may have gotten screwed in this deal, but where did, where did I go wrong? What, what did I do? How could I have been better? And, and I think having that open mind um, and, and, and trying to learn from it, you know, and going on that growth journey, like you lose a game, what do you do as a coach? You watch the film and you try to get better in practice the next day. Okay, you lost your job. Look at the film. What did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And grow from it. And I think, you know, Coach Williams always says this, when you're pointing a finger at somebody else, you have three pointing back to you. <laughs> so you have some role in whatever happens, a divorce, a, a, a job loss, you know, and, 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 and then surround yourself with truth tellers. I talk about the seven no's of leadership, K-N-O-W-S. And, and, and the, the, six, the six no's of leadership, uh, uh, K-N-O-W-S. The first one is know yourself. Like really know yourself and what are your blind spots. Most people don't know their self, themselves. They, they don't know, you know, their weak points. They don't know their blind spots. Understand your blind spots. Learn where your blind spots are by doing a, a, a self-assessment, you know, whether it be Myers-Briggs or disc assessment or Endor. you got to mind for the truth. You need to have truth tellers in your life that are going to say, hey, Sergio, you know what? You were, you were a jerk. You know, I don't blame them for firing you. Correct. You, you, well, you treated that guy at the restaurant like a jerk. And you might say, well, he, you know, he did this. He, no, no, you treated him like a jerk. You need, to, you need to handle that better. You know, now you could tell me, hey, go to, go to heck. But good friends tell the truth because that's the only way you're going to grow. Coach, you got me. You got me pumped, ready to go buy this book now. Hey, what? You haven't bought it yet, Serge? Coach, wait I was. <laughs> hey, wait, wait a second, Serge. You got me on this podcast. All hyped up. You haven't bought the book yet. Coach, I, I'm going. Uh, you know, it's funny. I I I knew I wasn't going to have time to read it in 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 seven days. We oh, spoke. You are backpedaling so hard, Sergio. <laughs> no, but I I'm definitely going to read it. You know, it's funny. I probably should have had you on two weeks from now and actually read the book before I had you on. But you know, I I I felt the need to have you on immediately because. I had seen a couple of things from it, some excerpts, and 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 I was just interested in listening to you and speaking to you. But I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna get it. I'm gonna read it. But then me and you will discuss it privately. I'm I'm not sure I'm gonna put this much stuff out there <laughs> on my podcast once I read the book. Well, I tell you what, yeah, maybe we'll have the podcast, but I'll interview you. That facts. Facts, facts. <laughs> Coach, where's the state of college basketball now? How much do you follow it? Are you involved? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What are you doing I, now? I, I, I do. Uh, I have a leadership uh, practice. 
I'm a Vistage chair. What is Vistage? Vistage is the oldest and largest executive coaching organization in the world. So I'm an executive coach. I work with small to mid-sized uh, CEOs and business owners. Um, I do corporate talks. I also do a radio show on Thursdays. I have a sports radio show I'm part of and a um, current events show in Charlotte, WFNZ and WBT. And then I do some sales on the side. I have a sales rep company that I do some some uh, advisory work for. So I'm busy. Do you- I'm busy and same busy. Um, and very fulfilled. So, yeah. Do you see yourself going back ever to coaching again? You know, never say never, but coaching is a drug, man. I'm in, I'm joking to say I'm in rehab. I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been coached, I've been coached sober for, oh, nine years. Coach, I've been, um, I've been coaching softball 25 years in college, high school, travel. I don't know what I would do if I didn't coach. Yeah. So and, I, and I, but I, I feel your pain. I'm coaching, I'm coaching executives. So that's my fix now. Um, you know, and, you know, would I coach again? Yeah, I'd never say never. You know, if, if you know, I, even as an assistant, you know, for a good guy at a, at a good program, yeah. Uh, you know, where I don't have to you know, deal with some of the things, but it's, it's harder now than ever before. Harder now than ever before. And if you talk to most coaches, they would say that they're miserable. And they probably don't get out because of ego and money. Because it feels good to say you're the head coach at XYZ University. And it feels even better to make seven figures plus every year. You know, feels good to drive nice cars and be members of country clubs. But, you know, with the one and done, the transfer portal, uh, the name, image, and likeness, um, we can go on and on. It is hard to get good players, coach them, and sustain any level of success. Coach, before I let you go, you mentioned a name early in our interview. Len Bias. Mm-hmm. You played against him. Tell me about him as a player, and then tell me where you were when you heard he died. Oh, wow. Well, he was a player that was built different than most guys. You know, we didn't lift a lot of weights back then, but he looked like he had lifted weights. You know, I'm not saying he did, but he was built, you know, had that V to him with the shoulders. And he was a freaky athlete, you know, a tremendous jumper, but yet could shoot the ball. I mean, he could shoot it out to 18 feet. There was no three-point line at the time. And he was just powerful. I remember him going to the basket in Chapel Hill on a game, and I knew I couldn't meet him at the rim, nor did I want to. (laughs) Uh, So I knew he was going to bring it behind his head and try to, you know, tomahawk dunk it. So I brought my hand behind his head, and got the ball like like I felt like it got all ball, and then I felt like he lifted me up into the goal, and then dunked it on me, and and then 
you know, he's turning around to run up court, and I'm running to take the ball out of bounds. We, we smacked chest, and uh, he sent me about five feet. So, yeah, that was my memory of Lenny Bias. Where was I when he uh, – I heard he died. I don't recall. I do not recall. But, but, how, did that, but how did that news hit you? Hit me hard. I mean, hard, like, you know, like, kind of like, you know, when I heard Kobe Bryant died, you know, kind of like, you know, what? Like, you, you think it's like someone's telling you, you know, and you didn't have social media to confirm it. So you're like, wait, are you sure? What? Really? And so, yeah, it just happened like, bam. Man. What's your relationship with, with, with Michael Jordan these days? Well, you buy the book. You see, if you were to book, if you would have purchased the book, <laughs> you would Coach, know, I'm going to get the book. I'm going to get it. Golly. He wrote the forward with the, for the book. That's so awesome. I started to write the book and I needed to find somebody to write the forward. I text him and like within 20 minutes, he responded saying, yeah, no problem. Be glad to. So, my relationship with Mike is good. Um, I don't bug him uh, because I try to respect, you know, him and his privacy. But whenever I communicate with him, he's quick to get back to me, and I appreciate that. Coach, thank you so much for your time. I I, I reached out to you about doing the interview, and you got back to me in seconds. So I appreciate your respect. I appreciate it the way you treated me. Like I said, eight, nine years ago, the first time we met each other. Um, you're a mensch, my friend. Well, thanks, sir. Uh, sir, buy the book, man. I'm going I to mean, buy the book. Look, I not only am I going to buy the book, when I when it arrives at my house, I'm going to take a picture of it and I'm going to text it to you. And then actually, after I read it, I'm going to send it to you so you can write something in it. All right. That's deal. 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 Thank coach, you so much for having me on the show, Serge. No, no problem, Coach. You've been listening to the Sergio Rodriguez show, a show unlike any other. <laughs>